we only want to know what tax rate we're at today. There's no guarantee what it'll be in the future. I mean, even under tax reform today, we see these tax brackets that changed under tax reform. But what if there's a new regime? Maybe there's a new commander in chief that goes in, in um, next year. Well, could these tax reforms be repealed? Absolutely. So it most likely would go back to where they were before, which is higher than they are. But we also just, even if they didn't change, a lot of people come in, they don't even know what their tax rate is today. They don't even know, they don't even know how the tax system works. It's time for the Retirement Reality Podcast with the founder of Principal Preservation Services, Mike Koyanen. Thanks for joining us again on another episode of the Retirement Reality Podcast. Alongside Mike Coyne and I am Ben George. We have a good show in store today. We're going to talk, we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit on advisors and talk about uh, how financial professionals, much like professionals in other businesses, can present you statements that uh, are kind of certain talking points for them, but might not give you the complete picture. So some statements you need to be cautious about if you hear from a professional. So we'll do that today with Mike. And also, special guest Casey Bird is joining us again from uh, the Principal Preservation Services team for this episode. How you doing, guys? We're doing awesome. Doing great. A little cold out here yeah. in uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, <laughs> but uh, we'll survive. That's what I hear. What? Uh, it was nine below? Is that what you told me? Nine below driving to, to work this morning. Mm. So yeah, um, we got we had to get through uh, February here and March will be a little bit easy, a little bit easier. April, um, looking forward to that. So, walk me through what it's like in the morning, because I've never lived. I mean, I lived in Connecticut for a while, but I don't know that we ever had many days that were under, you know, fifteen degrees in the morning. Very few single-digit days. So, what is like? Is there extra time you got to put in in the morning to get things going? The car, yourself, like whatever else. Well, yeah, back in the college days, definitely, but not not these <laughs> days. When you have a garage, and um, this is the first time I've ever had in my life uh, heat in my garage, so I keep my garage oh, nice. warm. So I think the older we get, the less you know, I get on cold seats in the morning. <laughs> but so for the last year and a half, we've had a heated garage. But really, uh, not a lot you different. Get used to we, it. You get used to it. No, obviously, cars have fuel injections, but when you go back to when I was in college and you had the carburetors well you had to put you know a lot of people understand you had to put the heat in the gas tank because i kept the condensation the moisture out of your gas and you had the old carburetor systems and if those carburetors got stuck open and they weren't shut they, you know the, it wouldn't get the fuel in there and it wouldn't start so you know i i remember back in the college days with starting fluid you know, shooting it into the carburetor. Huh. So you start the car and then you get a little flame that shoots out. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, and a lot of tactics. I mean, back in the old carburetor days, you'd have, you know, battery warmers. You have, we have heater core warmers. We have oil pan warmers. So fortunately, wow. cars with the fuel injections don't have usually a problem starting as long as you have a good battery, even if 10, 15 below, unless the battery's getting in tough shape so the only difference maybe kids start school a little later maybe an hour or two (laughs) sometimes they'll cancel it if it's so cold yeah we got it easy now i guess compared to what it used to be uh it sounds like quite a bit so well cool well hopefully it warms up for you guys a little bit um it's been in the 70s for me so i'm not gonna 
mention that much longer to you guys. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Happy you don't, for you. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. you don't really care too much <laughs> yeah. about that. All right, so let's hop into it today. And before we get into our main topic, I wanted to bring up a headline or an article that uh, we saw on CNBC and uh, talk about this briefly to see if you're seeing the same thing. But the CNBC article was talking about how many other countries are starting to move beyond this age of retirement at 65 and people are starting to work longer and longer. And we've seen that in multiple countries. We're starting to see that here too. What, what about with your clients uh, in Minnesota and Wisconsin? Are you seeing people kind of trend to a later retirement age? We are. We're, we're uh, typically, I think the last few years, getting away from that retiring at 60, 62 to 65. And then we have more and more people working past 65 uh, for a few reasons. Uh, we have less pensions, less, um, you know, unless you're, you retire with the government, you might have some health care cover. But the health care coverage is a big problem and a big expense. And it's just really hard for people to uh, retire before 65. But again, I think it's not just the health care. It's a lack of having enough funds in retirement. And so people are pushing off till 66, 67, 68, even 70. And, you know, it all depends what job they're doing. If they really like doing what they're doing, that's great. As long as the employer is going to keep them, we just hope there's not age discrimination that goes on, which companies say they don't. But we know what happens out there, unfortunately. So it is trending upwards, and we'll see with changes. I mean, there will be some more Social Security reform coming. We haven't seen anything, you know, yet on this. But what if they postpone Medicare for the younger generations till 66 or 67, they very might do that. And so we're gonna see that trend go even further. Well, we'll put that that article, a link to that article in the show notes and also on the website at principalpreservationservices.com. So if you wanna read more about the trends in other countries, uh, that'll be there for you to, uh, to check out. So do that there. Our main topic today is on lies you learn in broker school. Now, not you guys specifically, but lies that financial professionals might present to you. And, and not always they're intentional. They're not trying to mislead you, but they've just been trained in certain talking points. So you know, sometimes they might even believe them themselves after saying them for long enough. So I oh, wanted yeah. to give you guys a few statements and uh, tell us why we should be very hesitant when we hear these statements come out of the mouths of a financial professional you're working with. So okay, let's start with this one. We have experts who can accurately predict market movement. Yeah, and that's a tough statement. And first of all, when you say brokers, I mean, fortunately, we can say we're not on the broker side. There's a difference yeah. between fiduciary and broker. So we, we can clearly say we're not the broker side. But experts, well, there's real experts out there and these economists, but they're not really on the advising side, are they? They're not the brokers. They're not the, you know, advising. They're actually, you know, people like Schiller you might have heard of. You know, he's a Nobel um, Prize winner. Uh, he wrote a book a couple of years ago called Irrational Exuberance, and he's actually looked back in history and tracked uh, past um, down markets and predicted some pretty accurately. So you have people who will actually follow trends, and who are, that's their whole focus is following markets. That's not what your brokers are doing. You know, they're not sitting there and strategizing and looking at trends and looking at graphs and, and data point numbers and, and putting things together their job is selling investments. And uh, so 
I don't believe on the broker side you're going to get that. Casey, what do you want to add on that? Well, yeah, talking a little bit about, more about the brokers, we see a lot of brokers come in. Uh, what well, we see portfolios come in from uh, clients or, or prospective clients that have been working with brokers previously. A lot of the investments we see come in are front-end load mutual funds, which hmm. uh, can range from 4.25% fronting commission for that broker up to 6%. And when you pay that commission to them up front, that's obviously a big hit right initially. But then the market, speaking again about the market, it's been very unpredictable. But let's just say that they could accurately predict what the market would do. And they're just following, like Mike was saying, some of those economists out there and relaying that information to their clients. So even if your broker could uh, predict that, if he were to move your money into a safer investment, another safer type of front-end mutual fund that has that four and a quarter to six percent, he's generating even more commissions for himself on that same money. And doing that, if he consistently changes your investments to generate or whether he intentionally tries to generate more commissions or not, he will simply be using those investments. It's called churning someone's account and it's illegal for obvious reasons to continually generate commissions. As a fiduciary, like Mike said before, there's no uh, transaction or there's no uh, commission to be made on selling or buying investments, which is another major difference in uh, who you're working with when it comes to investing. Okay. What if somebody tells you this statement? What, what should I be cautious about with this? Just look at our past investment returns, and you can see that we have a system that works in all markets. Yeah. Would you ever see that on your statement? You know, Ben, I don't know if you see on your statement, it says past performance does not predict future yeah, guaranteed not results, indicative right? Of future results, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, that kind of same thing you see in your mirror, you know, objects in the mirror closer than they appear. You know, these little disclosures that people see. And, um, hey, the markets change. And, and again, your investments change. Yeah. You might be even in the same mutual fund that maybe performed really good 10, 15 years ago. We see a lot of people come in here with these these old mutual funds and they go, man, this used to do so well. It was so great. It was making 10, 20%. And now it's not making anything. It hasn't done anything in the last two, three, four years, even in a good market. Well, and you do that little you know, analysis on that, that investment, you can look it up and it tells you what's the turnover inside that investment and it changes. And it, it, it might've been focused one way years ago and it, it has a totally different makeup of that investment today. Right. Yeah, I think echoing Mike, it's really just, again, goes back to we can really never assume investments will continue to do well in the future simply because it's done well in the past. Like he said, uh, the economy changes. The reason the economy went down, you know, back in 08 is not going to be the same reason why we see a future uh, recession or down market. Things change as, as the economy moves along and investments perform different in different markets. Well, okay, moving aside from, you know, investments and returns, you know, another topic of conversation you often have with clients, you know, you and other professionals is about taxes. And when you hear this statement, and I even know this, you got to be a little hesitant. And that's when they tell you your tax rate's going to be much lower in retirement. Well, we hope so. I mean, that's not a guarantee either. We only want to know what tax rate we're at today. There's no guarantee what it'll be in the future. I mean, even under tax reform today, we see these tax brackets have changed under tax reform. But what if there's a new regime? Maybe there's a new commander in chief that goes in in, um, next year. Well, could these tax reforms be repealed? Absolutely. So most likely they go back to where they were before, which is higher than they are. But we also just, even if they didn't change, 
A lot of people come in, they don't even know what their tax rate is today. They don't even know, they don't even know how the tax system works. You know, it's a progressive tax system. And when they we look at, oh, you might be in a 22% bracket. A lot of people believe that you're paying 22% on the whole ball of wax. You're not. It's a progressive. Part of it's 10, part of it's 12, part of it's 22. So it's your average rate might only be like eight and a half. But in retirement, when we put in Social Security, IRAs, you might have a lot of required minimum distributions. You might have pensions. And when you put all that in there, a lot of times we're not even seeing their their tax rate change. Not all the time, but I would say about maybe about half the time it drops down to the lower bracket. Half the time they're right where they're at. And so um, I, we were just with the annual review yesterday, and it's like we have more income in retirement than we had when we were working. Yeah. Sometimes that happens. Right. And uh, again, it, uh, going off of what Mike is saying, I would say again one of the biggest things uh, we see for people who have done a really good job in while in their working years accumulating this money, a majority of those contributions have went to taxed or employer-sponsored plans that are not going to be Roth. They're going to be, when they take this money out, they're going to have to pay taxes as earned income. And I would say a vast majority of baby boomers that are coming into retirement, majority of their savings are in those pre-tax accounts, which means if they've accumulated a lot of money, and when they pull that money out, whether they want to or not, because of their RMD age, again, it's changed to 72, if they have those large accounts, their balances, they're going to have to pull out more money, which adds to again, the pension, Social Security, or any other income they have, which could create another tax issue. It's not always, definitely not always, uh, lower taxes in retirement. One other thing I just thought about, Ben, just to throw in there, because the SECURE Act has recently passed this year, went yeah. into effect this year, and big part of the, re the SECURE Act, it's nice you can postpone RMDs till 72 for majority of people, unless you're already taking RMDs. So, but the biggest part, of that is really that stretch IRA has been eliminated. So we're gonna see one of the biggest transfers of wealth that we've ever seen in this next uh, decade to two because we have 79 million baby boomers and a lot of them are gonna be passing on their wealth down to their children. And in the past, they could stretch those IRAs out, receiving mom or dad's IRA, stretch it out over their lifetime. Now the new rules are 10-year uh, distribution uh, plan to take all that money out there's gonna generate a lot of taxes. So if Bobby and Susie inherit dad's IRA of a half a million dollars or mom's IRA of a half a million dollars, they each have to collect $250,000. Well, they're gonna have to claim that as income over a 10 year period. Uh, here's another part of that SECURE Act. Okay. Again, you don't even have to take out any money for the first nine years. They're not requiring any distributions until that final year. You had to have it all out. So you might have inherited, you know, Bobby and Sue, $250,000. You didn't touch it for 10 years. Now it's back up to half a million. And now you have to take out a half a million dollars at once on top of your income. It's going to create some big tax liabilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely some things to consider moving forward. It'll be interesting to see how the SECURE Act not only affects people this year, but definitely in the years to come. Uh, yeah. That's something you would want to be talking with your uh, your advisor about now, really. Uh, so the last point or, I guess, uh, statement that gets made that I want a little explanation on first, but then also why you should be cautious, is if somebody tells you it's just a paper loss, hang in there, you'll be fine. 
Yeah, we see that a lot. You know, we hear hang in there, be fine, just fine. And you wouldn't believe all the years I've done seminars, and I have people tell me they've they've got nervous about the market. They contact their their broker, or their advisor, and they say, "Hang in there, you'll be just fine." It, it always comes back. You know, and these are people who sometimes they're in their seventies and eighties. Have told me that I go, "You've been long term. You know, you've you've you know ridden the wave. How much more do you want to wait?" The market always comes back, but your dollars don't when you're taking distributions from it. And that's the key part uh, about your, yeah, if you're 25, 35, 45, 50, you know, you have time uh, to have that money come back because, you, you know, the IRS penalizes you if you take it out before 59 and a half anyways. Your goal is not taking that money out bef- when you're too young. But when you need the money, and we don't know when we're going to need the money. A lot of people would say, I'm not going to touch it till RMDs. Well, things can change. Health can change. Family dynamics can change. You know, maybe you got like over, you plan to work another three, four years, and they just eliminated your department or position. We see a lot of that stuff. And then when you need to rely on the money, you are subject to wherever that market is. And that's why it's so important to have uh, a distribution plan so you're not taking the money out at the wrong time at the wrong place. Yeah, well, these are all statements that financial professionals might make. You know, brokers, um, they're not trying to always intentionally mislead, but these are talking points that you might hear quite a bit. And that's why you want to work with someone, this fiduciary. And, and I'll let you kind of, I know you touched on this a little bit more, but just for people that maybe don't understand the difference, Mike, just explain why it's important and what the difference is working with fiduciary versus the alternative. Yeah, I'll right. have Casey jump in on that one. Yeah, so we talk about this a lot, um, bring this up quite often. The, the difference being, well, first, a fiduciary has to act in the best interest of another person. And what we really believe is we believe there's two different types of fiduciaries. And the first type of fiduciary, his name is technically his name is agent, but he likes to say I'm a financial advisor because it sounds a lot better, right? But then the big difference is that they don't have a fiduciary responsibility to the client their fiduciary responsibility, they have to act in the best interest of the company they work for. So that's a really big difference. And a lot of people who are working with these agents or these brokers, they don't know to ask that question. So that's a big question to be able to ask, who, who are you a fiduciary to? They just assume it's to them. And then the big difference again is conflict of interest. Like we talked about, they get paid various different commissions to offer various different investments. And even if you have a really good broker or agent who's morally, you know, just a great guy or gal. Um, what if they're struggling financially? I mean, how good are they? I mean, if they're getting paid a higher commission uh, to recommend an investment and they, both of the investments look really good for their client, they're not going to hurt them. They're going to meet their goals. They're suitable for them. But they get a higher commission to, to recommend investment A over investment B. Which one do you think they'll choose? Now, the client would never know that. That's going to be behind the scenes. And then we're going to talk about the second type of fiduciaries, who we are. We, not only do we take on a moral responsibility to our clients to put their best interest above our own, but we also have a legal responsibility to do that as well. And we don't get paid different ways to recommend different investments. In fact, uh, it's just a standard fee for the year, no matter what investment that we recommend. And we really like that model because it eliminates that conflict of interest and allows us to look at their retirement uh, and put together a plan for them in an unbiased perspective and really give them, uh, put their best interest ahead of our own. Well, that's good to know. Thanks for explaining that. And, and if you haven't worked with Mike or Casey or the team at Principal Preservation Services, you can find them online at principalpreservationservices.com. Their number is 855-987-8888. They have offices in both Woodbury 
uh, in Minnesota, in Hudson, Wisconsin, so right across the border from each other, depending on what state you're in. You can reach out to them, whatever's most convenient. But reach out and, and make a point to sit down and have these conversations about these these topics. And if you're hearing these comments from a professional you're working with, you know, take them with a grain of salt and maybe consider what, what the actual meaning is behind what they're saying. Let's take a quick question before we wrap up uh, the show. And I want to do it uh, this one because Casey's on and he might be able to add a little <laughs> input on portfolio management. But Cliff writes uh, to the show and he asks, I told myself that once I hit a million dollars in my portfolio, then I'd move a lot of money to cash. But now that I'm at a million, I'm thinking I can get maybe $1.2 million before I make that move. What do you think? Well, we actually kind of had a client like that come through um, and he had a really tough time uh, moving any of his money. He had all his money in Alibaba stock. Okay. Right? So, I mean, everything he had. I mean, almost a million dollars. So, really wow. similar. Now, I don't know if this, this guy's portfolio is diversified, uh, different, but obviously the, the gentleman I'm talking about had everything in Alibaba, which is extremely high risk. But thinking about, right, what drives the markets? Fear and greed. You know, right, the fear of loss or the greed of I could potentially get more. It looks like he's acting really on the greed side. And I think a few things to consider is that we've been in a really uncharted market right now, really uncharted territories. We've never been in this, uh, this long of an uptrending market. And we're not ever trying to sell fear, but statistically, the average bear market's one in every seven years. So it kind of tells you how unusual that what we've been a part of, how, what an unusual market it has been, and getting closer and closer to retirement, the the impact of the loss and having having your money all you know invested in there, the impact of the loss far outweighs the impact of the potential gain and maybe getting more and more because if you need to rely on these funds and you're getting in retirement, we find that most people have accumulated what they need for a secure uh, retirement based on what they're spending every month and why why risk it and again if he's married that's another conversation we kind of find that a lot of wives uh, either don't know or when they do find out they give them a nudge on the you know nudge them and say what are you doing or what's going on like they just didn't know when we show them that level of risk right and and I guess too I mean to answer that question a little bit it's not just either invested in the market or cash I mean there's there's Mm -hmm, in-betweens too right I mean there's conservative investments if you want to keep that money working for you Mm -hmm. yeah being properly diversified and and like Casey was saying, all risk or all safety, that's one extreme to the other. <laughs> what about having the, the right portfolio for your situation? And not just for, for Tarzan, but we're talking about for Tarzan and Jane. We have to consider both both parties in the relationship because, like I said, usually, not always the case, but usually we find that the wives are a little more conservative and they want to have that, that, uh, that guaranteed retirement. And what's the whole point of risking your retirement away for a gain of another five to 10, 15% when it might not make a difference to your retirement? You already have enough money for that guaranteed retirement you want to have. Why, why put it in jeopardy? Yeah, good point. Cliff, thanks for that question. Uh, you can get more information from Mike and uh, Casey by giving them a call at 855-987-8888 or connecting with them online at principalpreservationservices.com. Well, we've covered quite a bit in this episode of the Retirement Reality Podcast, so we will close it out on that note. Mike and Casey, appreciate the time today. You, you are welcome. It was a good time. It was indeed. So make sure you subscribe. We have a new podcast coming out every single week, and we'll have another one coming soon. So we'll talk to you again next time right here on the Retirement Reality Podcast.
information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.